0: Today's topic is the promise of the digital supply chain with my friend DC, and I can't pronounce your name to save my soul, DC, so you are going to have to do that for me.
1: (laughs) I I, I got you. (laughs) So,
0: Please introduce yourself and your company and where you're at today.
1: Yeah, my name is D.C. Sfregola, oh, so all three gosh. consonants together. <laughs> I currently am sitting in Las Cruces, New Mexico, actually. So we, we have a, a home out here to escape from the world. It's, you know, the, the land of enchantment here. So it's, you know, nice, beautiful weather, especially, you know, in the winter.
0: Where do you normally live?
1: We split time between Atlanta and L.A.
0: Nice. Nice. Well, it's hot there, too.
1: <laughs> it is. Um, Atlanta gets a little muggy. L.A., well, we were out in Manhattan Beach, so it wasn't super hot. You know, the weather was nice. But, you know, with, with COVID and everything, uh, yeah, a yeah. smaller yeah. city we have you know more land out here we've got a toddler so he can nice. run out and i can i can open the door and let him run out and do his thing you know like in <laughs> b- back in the old days before video games and
0: yeah you got to get them out there
1: yeah get them outside
0: <laughs> so D- dc please introduce your company and what you guys do
1: Yeah. So I am the founder and CEO of a consulting firm called New Gen Architects. So a new generation of solution and business architects was kind of the idea behind the name. So what we do is to bridge the gap between business and technology to help companies achieve successful supply chain transformations. And, you know, the the underlying goal there is to really empower clients to scale their business intentionally so we we do that through you know various service offerings but at the end of the day we serve as thought partner trusted advisor um, and facilitator i like to say that's what i always say when i started the company and recently clients you know have told us you need to add advocate there too you advocate for <laughs> you know you advocate for us in conversations where we just don't really know what's going on you know from a technology perspective
0: right so you've got a very interesting background i've gotten little tidbits of it here so tell us a little bit about you where'd you grow up where'd you go to school give us some of those uh background on you
1: I grew up for the most part in Atlanta. Um, we moved there when I was about eight. So halfway through elementary school, um, middle school, high school, I did all of that in Atlanta. And I went to school at the University of Georgia. Go Bulldogs. And I... oh,
0: They're going to get beat in that
1: playoffs. I game. Would not make such a bold <laughs> statement when uh, I'm you a
0: Wolverine. Have I have to say that supply
1: chain—you don't know the future.
0: <laughs> kind of you. <laughs> now it's going to be a good game. My Wolverines are—I didn't know you were a Georgia person.
1: Yes, That's great. go dogs, Georgia Bulldogs. It was a great season. Disappointing, you know, outcome. Not over yet. SEC championship, but yeah, it's not over yet. It's so funny, and this is complete tangent. But I, you know, I grew up. In the sec you know even watching football like i knew i always wanted to go to a, a division one school i wanted to experience division one football and for so long i thought like the sec championship was the end of it <laughs>
0: right. that was exactly <laughs> like the
1: sec championship is the only thing that matters that's the that is the final game and then i remember learning about the national championship and i was like oh like people that's actually care about other <laughs> Football, you know, divisions, yeah. and not just the SEC. So, so yeah, that that that's a funny story. I I, I remember being like, oh, there's there's more.
0: <laughs> yeah, I grew up a Michigan fan. My mom and dad had like twenty season tickets. I still have like eight to Michigan games, and I grew up going to those games. It was like it's almost be sacrilegious, but it was almost like a religion at the house. Like whenever he set, well, when my dad died, he had said, "I want my some of my ashes to." uh, I want my ashes in Michigan stadium. So I put his ashes right by our, our seats. And I was like, so I feel like now I can't upgrade my seats ever, but um, right, yeah, it, it was, uh, it, it does soak into you. Yeah, and then absolutely. it's funny. I didn't go, I didn't go to Michigan for my undergrad. And then I was like, you know, I got to go to Michigan for my master's. And then I was like, ah, oh, you know, what is, I've kept thinking, I kept looking at all the different master's programs and I was like 30 some, And I was like, just has to say Michigan. I just says I have to go to Michigan. Yeah, I just, I'll just
1: pick something. <laughs> yeah, I actually, I actually, you know, just thinking education wise. So the, when I was in school, there was the Hope Scholarship for Georgia. If you went to a public university in Georgia after having gone to a public high school in Georgia or at any high school in Georgia, I believe, then your tuition and fees were covered by by the state if you maintain a certain GPA. So you were covered for 120 hours or a degree, whichever came first. So by the time I got to my, the second semester of my junior year of college, I remember sitting down with the advisor. And the advisor, you know, told me, oh, graduation is coming up for you. And I was like, no, actually, I think I'm going to change my major again. And I was looking at the course catalog. Looks like I'm going to have to start over. So I'll be here for a little bit longer. And, you know, she very politely told me that's not the way it works. You know, you don't just get to keep going to school forever and having the state pay for it. So it looks like you have done enough coursework to get a degree in Spanish. So that's how I ended up with a degree in Spanish. She told me that I could either pay for school myself or I could take, you know, eight more courses the next school year. And I could get a degree in Spanish, so I always told myself, "Nah, who cares what I study in undergrad? I'll go get a master's. Like I'll figure it out. You know, I'm 21. Who you know, I've got my entire life to figure out exactly what it is I want to do. And I actually got into an Erasmus Mundus master's program to start right after graduation, and I was supposed to do a year in York, England, and then a year in Barcelona, and I would have gotten two master's degrees, one in international affairs and one in public policy, and it sounds, you know, oh my goodness, that's wonderful, a year in York, a year in Barcelona, two master's degrees, et cetera, et cetera, but, you know, why? When I really sat down and thought about it, was it something that I really wanted to study? Was I ready for a master's degree? And I decided that I wasn't, you know, I was, I was 21 and I had graduated and I was turning 22 and I just felt like that was a big financial commitment I didn't want to take on, that I was still you know, in my prime quote unquote, you know, I was single, no kids, no mortgage, like none of the stuff that we, you know, think in adulthood holds us down. So I didn't want to spend two more years in school with no clear agenda on whether or not I was actually going to end up going into, you know, government work or public policy or anything like that. So, you know, hindsight 2020, I did am obviously not in government work or public policy. So it, you know, it seemed to, to be a good Yeah, discipline. it did
0: not make sense. Yeah, yeah. It, it
1: did make sense.
0: And, and if you're the founder, your current boss is happy with your education, right?
1: Yes, exactly. <laughs> you know, my, my current boss is happy with my education as are my clients. So, I mean, I did end up going back and, you know, about five years later to do a master's in, Well, I actually had to start over with a bachelor, had to do a second bachelor's in industrial engineering because my first degree, I didn't spend any time at all doing any physical sciences, um, advanced math, you know, nothing like that. So I actually had to start over in 2016.
0: You're a masochist.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's what they tell me. Like (laughs) I started Chem 101. I did Calc, Calc 2, you know, statics linear algebra like you know stuff that i i think that honestly having done it later in life was better because when i was you know 19 20 for whatever reason like i just didn't get math and you know looking back at doing my degree in ie and then going into my masters in engineering management you know i can i can potentially say that part of that was that i didn't have the best teachers. I think it's actually probably really hard to teach math, but also a lot of it was that I just honestly didn't think I was good at it. So if you start thinking that you can't do something, you know, what's, what is the psychology term for it? Self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, they say, if you think you can, or you think you can't, you're right. You know what I mean? So I always said, I'm not good at math. I'm not good at math. So I wasn't good at math.
0: So I went to school at night and I was a better student. By the time I was 30, I was a very good student. But when I got out of high school, I was like, I just was not a great student. I was okay. I didn't think I was stupid or anything. I just thought I didn't care. I did care, but it just didn't all click. I think I had a little bit of ADD. No surprise there to anyone who listens. But <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah. So I noticed also you did speak Spanish to your kids. So, and you said that. Do you, do you speak Spanish as your first language or second language?
1: No, yeah, Spanish is my second language. So English is my first language, then Spanish, then Italian, then Portuguese in that order.
0: Jeez, oh, Pete, you are an educated young lady. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I, I like language, you know. I actually have. But normally, people
0: who are good at languages don't get engineering degrees.
1: <laughs> you know, and that's why my dad was the one that uh, he had tried to convince me for many, many years to study engineering. He has a he has two masters. He has a master's in systems and a master's in electrical, and he's doing a PhD in electrical. Yeah, so, that's where you get it yeah so i didn't think that i had it (laughs) apparently i do but he always you know told me that with with my you know what we talked about you know before joe with my ability to tell stories and you know i never remember if it's left brain or right brain but whatever the not the whole side is you know, I, I I have that, but I also understand enough of the technical to be able to you know play translator.
0: No, but that's that's very impressive that you have those both those sides though. Because I I got to tell you guys this a quick story, a little tangent. I used to do a lot of engineering work in China and Thailand, and um, I had people who I work closely with, and I took some training on how do I better work with my team in Asia. And there was my whole team here in the U.S. We were writing down who was the best engineer that we worked with, right? And it was a weird thing because we all picked the same guy. And then they said, who speaks English the best? And we all write down the same guy. So this guy who we thought was the the very best engineer was the one who spoke the best English. And then the facilitator said, probably not. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I want you guys to go back and look objectively at that guy is an engineer. Is he a good engineer? And it's funny because within a few minutes, we're like, oh my God, no, he's not a great engineer. He's a great guy. And he's the one who we lean on because he speaks English. And they said, you've got to get comfortable with the fact that most of the engineers that are really good don't have that gift for for languages. So they might speak Thai or they might speak Mandarin or Chinese as they call it now, (laughs) but they don't speak. They're not interested in language. They're interested in stuff. And I was like, oh, my God.
1: Yeah. Or communication in general. You know, my dad dad told me, you know, kind of a related story of how he was able to, you know, progress through his career. And a lot of it was because, you know, within his team, he became the person to tell the boss in that, you know, someone would say, oh, you know, you know, I worked on this. I did this. This is kind of what I found out. Hey, James, will you tell, you know, the boss? And because, because they don't want to communicate, you know, they didn't want to be the person to have to figure out what the story is to have to figure out, you know, how to say this succinctly, like, this is what I did. Here's my report. And now you go figure out how to make it a page instead of 13 pages. And, you know, that just that communication was really where, you know, my dad encouraged me, like, if you if you can learn the technical then everything else that just comes natural for you will take you very far.
0: Right, and that's very true. Because it's funny when you look at the vice presidents of all the automotive companies that I've worked with, many of them, they are were good technically, but why they rose up was because of their communication skills and their leadership skills. And so it's it's funny we all have we all have that one side of us that is the weaker mm-hmm. strengths and weaknesses, but. Except for you, DC, you seem to have both. Congratulations. No, congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> anyway,
1: I, I have my strengths and weaknesses. Also, I just i I think like most good leaders am very aware of my weaknesses, so I make sure that I have someone on my team who's really good at that thing that I can't do.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so today's topic is the promise of. The digital supply chain, and when we are so many we, promises, <laughs> yep. and we've talked about this a few times. But you know, we pre- we we had a few conversations offline, and then we talked earlier today before we hit the record button. And you know, we all hear digital supply chain. It's 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 one of those things that's almost too buzzword like. And at some point, it's just going to be the supply chain, and of course, it's digital, right? We don't say I have electricity in my house or at my electric house because, of course, your house, has, hopefully, your house has electricity, and so. The promise that we all keep hearing about is we're not quite there yet. Some are closer, some are further. But what are some of the promises of this digital supply chain? Let's just talk a little bit about that before we talk about some of the challenges.
1: Yeah. To to avoid the buzzwords that you mentioned. So uh, yes, I, I completely agree that digital supply chain is becoming a marketing buzzword. And if I think about the promise of digital supply chain, the first words that come to my mind, which is why I say I kind of want to avoid them, are also have become buzzwordy.
0: Well, no, Let's say, the them anyway. say them so, anyway.
1: So, you know, it's an agile supply chain, you know, agility, speed, resiliency. You know, right. so a resilient supply chain is now a buzzword and an agile supply chain is now a buzzword.
0: But, but they, they, even though they might be buzzwords, they're still exactly what we want. So when we think about resiliency, we're, we're hopefully, I'd like to think we're getting out of this pandemic, but resiliency is what we absolutely positively needed during the pandemic. We wanted to be able to make adjustments as a result of maybe I, there was a truck shortage or I couldn't get the stuff I needed from Asia we had to make all of these adjustments, and we needed to, to have, be agile. And by the way, for the most part, we in the supply chain world, the logistics and supply chain, we performed very well. I mean, stuff got where it needed to get. Most of us did not lose weight. Like some of us got the COVID nineteen. <laughs> <laughs> I got the COVID nineteen or twenty. But so we want that agile supply chain. We want resiliency. We want speed. Right. So. I know they might be a little buzzwords, but we want them. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's and that's fair. That That's very, very fair. That is exactly what we want. And, you know, I said, let's, uh, you know, avoid the buzzwords because then it's like, well, what does that actually mean? Because you do hear a lot of, you hear those words often. You want a resilient supply chain. And, you know, we are talking to technology vendors or as supply chain practitioners and decision makers are trying to figure out how to become that resilient company with resilient products operations and supply chain you know you're reading a lot of you know blogs and you're watching webinars and you're listening to podcasts you know like this one so i know i personally hear people say a lot yeah yeah agile supply chain you know resilient supply chain but what does that actually mean you know what does it look like that's that's where we have to kind of take the next step in order to you know to your point really leverage or achieve the promise of digital supply chain. You know, the the promise of the digital supply chain is a resilient supply chain. It is an agile supply chain. It is a fast supply chain. But what does that actually look like in the day to day? You know, how is your product operations and supply chain, your supply network structured? How is your business structured? What are certain cadences? What is, you know, underlying data and systems look like? That's the next step that we have to get to if we really want to achieve that promise is to not say, okay, yeah, we want the supply chain to be resilient, but what does that mean, and how do you actually get there? And that is the promise, that is the future state, right. because yeah, to your point, we saw that this is where we need to be going. This is where well, this is where we should have been going. You know, I, I've been in software implementations for. You know many years and you've been in program management for software implementations for many many more years so it's not that it's new it's just that it's now at the forefront and it's now something that we have to do now i mean there there are plenty of studies that came out last year from mckinsey you know bain and co the usual suspects and they all said the same thing this has always been a thing you know the digital supply chain was always a thing it's just now something that people are finally really paying attention to and investing time, resources, and you know, financial um, investments into.
0: Right. And I think this what we're really looking at here is we have we have demand. We have customers demanding product, right? And then we have on the other side of it, we have supply. Well, in this last 18 months, two years with the COVID, we've seen demand shift all around. So I was talking to my friends over at Ruan. They make uh, they or they serve a lot of dairy farmers, so the cows don't stop producing milk. But we were selling a lot of those, a lot fewer of those little milk cartons that the kids had drank at milk at milk at school, and we needed. So, but so we had to quickly say, okay, that we're not filling up as many of those. And we have to fill up more milk elsewhere. We have to sell milk elsewhere. by the way, I think only fifteen or twenty percent of milk actually is drank. The rest of it gets i think powdered and used in stuff. But we had to like overnight quickly change because we didn't have that anymore, so that demand completely changed
1: and that's that's a really good example of just agility 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 <laughs> is agility and resiliency <laughs> so maybe I'll coin that <laughs> there you go. But that's a really good example of something that I think that everyone can or, or you know, at least the audience can actually picture. Because I remember reading, you know, we're dumping out milk. We're throwing, you know, we're throwing away milk, but there are people who don't have groceries. So, you know, what's actually happening? And I, I think that if we simplify it, there's demand, there's supply. But if you really think about the entire supply network and the entire value chain it is it, it becomes that point where you have to say how do we collaborate across all of these different nodes and all of these different partners to get the packaging because the packaging has to change we're not talking about little cartons of milk anymore for the schools or yeah we need the big jugs but you know where, where am i gonna get that that supply from if the manufacturers for that if all manufacturers are closed you know or working on reduced capacity well now i have to pivot i have to change and that's when we really get to the point, like I said, getting into the details to say, what does that actually look like? That's your suppliers, that's procurement, that's sourcing, that's you know finance, that's demand plan, that's inventory management, that's packaging. It's everything. It's not just saying, oh, our demand changed, so now we're going to meet the demand. But in order to do that, there are a lot of other different steps.
0: Right. Yeah, exactly. And I think, let's switch gears a little bit. So we, I think, before we go, I think to get to This this promise. It's collaboration. It's we we always use visibility. We want visibility. We want. But you said something to me I thought was interesting. Is we don't want just visibility. We want to be able to use that visibility to collaborate from the time I get an order to the time I get paid. The entire supply chain, right? I want visibility, but I don't want to just be able to say, "Yeah, I see the problem over here." I want to be able to say, "I want to be able to interact with the people who can." Collaborate with me to solve that problem before it becomes a bigger problem. So talk a little bit about that. Or I
1: even I even want to anticipate that problem. I want to sense that problem. Right. So you you talked about the order, but I always like okay, but before that, you know, the product innovation, the product development, like at what point do you bring in the rest of the value chain to say, we are thinking about making this new thing. So before customers even start ordering it. What is everything going to look like from the that planning. perspective? The planning for it. So so that's that's visibility. I think that a lot of times when you say, oh, visibility, and I, I think you said that it, it's like, oh, the truck's an hour late. I mean, that's, that's a part of it. You know, where's my container? Like, that's a part of it. But when right. I think of visibility, I think of, you know, a- awareness of information and that everybody along the value chain in the supply network knows that something can happen, knows that something is happening, and there is a plan of action for it, whether it be good or bad, or normal operations. Right. But we have the data and we are actually using the data, everyone together, to have risk mitigation plans, contingency plans, execution plans, operational plans, and When you have that, everyone, if they're not on the same page, you can get them on the same page faster. It's kind of like, everyone turn your books to page 10. You know what I mean? You you might be wherever, but now we can all turn to page 10 and be looking at this, reading the same book, and we all know what the next steps are, you know?
0: Right. So we, we all know we want this. We want this and again, it's a little bit of buzzwords, but it's it's what we truly want. We want the resiliency, we want the agility, we want the speed, and all this is to make more money. You know, the, and and I think we also want to be able to collaborate. We want visibility. I think one other thing before we leave the promise of this is I want to talk about two other things. So I want your two cents on this idea of digital twin. I know we've got right now we've got all these point systems, and when I say point system, it might be. I have a transportation management system over here. And then over here, I have a purchasing system. And over here, I have a inventory system. And over here, I have where I'm at, But they're all disconnected. They're all point systems. So right now, I can't do kind of big <laughs> scenario planning across my entire supply chain because it's not all connected that way. So talk a little bit about that. I can't, the, these point systems and this disconnectedness. We have systems. They're just a little bit of disconnectedness.
1: I think of that as kind of connected planning, which is a little bit different from the digital twin. You know, but having those connections that you talked about the integrations with the systems, the underlying data that actually comes out of them and makes sense. Um, a lot of times stuff comes out; it is not actually anything that we need. <laughs> um, so, so once a lot of you, data,
0: not much knowledge. <laughs> yeah,
1: you know, once once you get that piece of it, then you can take the next step and you know create a digital twin of your supply chain.
0: And what we mean by that digital twin is. I can. What happened in the real world is what happened in my.
1: Or I can simulate right. what will happen in the real world. Right. Using my digital replica of the supply and that's chain. And what,
0: that's what we want to be able to do is do a whole bunch of scenario planning and go, God, what if there was a pandemic? And somebody says, Well, what's the chances of that? Right. <laughs> I want to do that before the pandemic.
1: Or not even necessarily. What if there is a pandemic? Just what if there is anything that would affect my supply of. This raw material of this, you know, piece of inventory of this product, because it doesn't necessarily have to be a pandemic that shuts down, right. you know, uh, a manufacturer. It could be a fire. It could be oh, just. It could be a strike. It I'll could be, it. <laughs> you know, it could be weather event. You know, not, you know, climate event. So there, there are many things that can happen. And actually, there were a lot of people. I remember the beginning of, you know. Or late winter, early spring 2020, where they were saying that there were companies who did have risk mitigation plans. They did have that digital supply chain or, you know, excuse me, that digital twin. So what they were able to do was to pivot faster, Right. but they also did take a hit because it was like every single one of your potential risks hitting at the same time. Right, you know, right. you, you, you expect to not have one thing, you expect to potentially not have another thing. You know, I, I spoke with um, one of our partners uh, a couple months ago and she was telling me how, you know, back before she started her firm, she used to do inventory management for a company that had a warehouse in Florida. And like she always knew hurricane season is coming up. So I had like, what do I have to do to prepare for hurricane season? I know that something could affect my inventory supply. So like that that was in their contingency plan. That was in their risk, you know, risk management plan. Right. But they didn't necessarily have, well, what if this and, this and this and this and this and this and it all happens at the same time? Then what do I do? That's a whole other thing. But companies that had these digital twins were able to pivot. Now, the idea of a digital twin is also, I think in my mind, very like futuristic. When I hear digital twin supply chain, my mind almost goes like (laughs) sci-fi.
0: I think somebody told me that Apple might be doing that, but it would be to your point.
1: Like the the companies that are, we're, we're absolutely in early adopter phase digital twins, I would say, for companies that are actually, that are fully leveraging it. it it's early adopters, which are going to be your huge, you know, enterprise companies that can afford it. I actually, um, I did some research on it. And, you know, for when you say how much is a digital twin, you know, cost, they break it down um, based off of, uh, you know, actual physical footprint. So if you have you know a warehouse that is 600,000 square feet, you've got three of those, this is what you can expect the cost to be, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, we're looking at millions of dollars. You oh. have a couple of other, you can get some other results that say 50,000, 400,000. but the you know the average is a couple million dollars. So you, know particularly at Nugent Architects, the size of company that we service, they can't afford a digital twin. You know what I mean? Like so. so what's the next best thing? You know what I mean? How how do you then pivot we work towards and, it? And and a lot of that is what you said, the connected planning. So you might not be able to have a digital replica of your entire supply network, but you can think about what your IT landscape and your system architecture should look like to support, like you say, a scenario planning to support, you know, being able to pivot as quickly as possible. If you have a single source of truth for your data that everyone is looking at and, you know, how we also talked about true collaboration a cadence of communication a cadence of sharing assumptions sharing ideas potentially even challenging you know those assumptions and ideas you know translating and connecting our very optimistic sales organization with our traditionally pessimistic operations side you know what what does that actually look like and and that's where you get to you know i think the promise of the digital supply chain on that smaller not enterprise level scale you know what i mean the enterprise level scale is oh i have a digital simulation of my entire supply chain and again sci-fi i i I envision my mind i'm like watching a sci-fi movie they've got the screens and you know someone's like moving this well what if this warehouse does this let's put this container over here and what if our dock is now in Savannah instead of, you know, long Beach, It
0: reminds me, um, I, my daughter's Used to play this game called when I say my daughters. I admit it. I played too. <laughs> roller Coaster Tycoon. You, you familiar? No, so I'm it's, not. Like it's like a Sims game. It's like I guarantee people are listening will hear. I've heard of it. So your kids will be playing before you know it. And I always remember with Roller Coaster Tycoon, you're managing a a park like a Cedar Point or a Disney, and you say I'm going to build this roller coaster, and it's really interactive and easy. And so you're watching the kids, and they're like building this these cities, right? This, that's basically like SimCity, but then it says, okay, it costs this much to build that. And then all of a sudden you got to get, you got to get loans and you're kind of going through this whole business scenario. And what's so crazy about it is as you make a move, the game adjusts, right? And I keep thinking that's what we'll get at some point with that scenario planning. But what's my daughter, I, I remember being like eight years old and just building this wonderful theme park, right? And her, and fighting with her sister at the same time because her sister was building another theme park. And I remember they had these people who were complaining. There'd be compl- people wandering around complaining. And I remember my daughter was picking up these people and throwing them into the lake one at a time. I go, "What are they?" She goes, "They can't swim." And I was like, well, "What are you doing?" She goes. Yeah, they 're complaining, and like if you throw them in the river there 's you or in this lake, they drowned, and you don 't have to have as much negativity in the on your and I was like, "Oh my <laughs> God that's like
1: wait and
0: I, and I was like that, solve that's a that problem and I was thinking, and it 's funny because all their friends are doing the same thing at some point. I like to think roller coaster tycoon caught up, but I guess my point to my blathering is. I think we're going to get to a place where we'll be able to do some simulations. And again, that's very much sci-fi. But in the meantime, we got to get more connected so we can actually start doing this sci-fi. But I really do think at some point we're going to be able to say, I'm, I want to sell this order for 18 pallets of blank to these people in Mexico. And it turns out because of the cost of trucking or because the this problem or that problem I need to raise the price or lower the price to make, be you know, to, to, to win the business or win the, I should say, increase the price to make more money or lower the price to get the business. And I think we'll get there. I think we're, but we need, we need this promise, you know, this promise that we're talking about. We need to get there because we can't do that scenario planning until we get connected. One last thing I want to talk about is again, with this promise is automation. So I know you work across the entire supply chain. A lot of people listening have transportation management systems and warehouse management systems. And more and more of that stuff is happening with automation, where no person required to make the, the business run. So talk a little bit about the opportunity of that automation.
1: Um, I think that we should also expand our idea of automation, Because, like you just said, when when I think about supply chain automation and when I hear a lot of the conversations, it is very much focused on the plant and the warehouse. And there is the technology that exists now to take that automation even to the other side of not the, you know, the physical operations. But if you think of like you know, demand planning, inventory management, um, supply planning, the actual planning piece of it, automation, the technology is there for that as well. And I, I think that if we if we think about, you know those promises that we talked about earlier, one of them was speed. And realistically, there is technology, whether it be you know RPA, or whether it be AI.
0: Robotic process automation, automation,
1: yes. (laughs) Or machine learning or artificial intelligence or or whatever it is, the technology is there. There are a lot of systems, I've seen a a lot of tools that can improve the speed of how we work. And it's, I mean, it's simple, you know, a a computer, sometimes a technology, a software, a machine can just do something faster than a person can. And and what that means, I, I really want people to embrace this because there's so much fear, I feel, like, still around it of, like, the robots are going to take over and they're going to, you know, take our jobs, et cetera. But being on the other side of technology and knowing, like the level of effort and the knowledge that it takes to configure that technology. You know, the it's, it's funny because I remember reading an article about two or three years ago, and actually maybe it was three or four years ago because we've been in COVID for two years now. But this has always stuck with me. If you ask someone that works in technology where we are, Versus someone who doesn't work in technology, people who don't work in technology think we're like so far ahead. They think that like the sci-fi things we see in movies are like five years from now. But the people who work in technology or even if you like see the memes of, you know, a a developer or software engineer and it's like what people think I do. And I'm like, Like, what I actually do, what I actually do is like Googling, you know, hoping that some other developer you know, put how to code this in Python or, you know, how to code this in, you know, MATLAB or something like that. And it's really just scouring the internet, trying to figure things things out. And, you know, having been on the side of configuring software, we really need people. And this is something that I really push, you know, our clients to understand when they're talking about implementing these softwares or, you know, adopting some sort of, iot digital you know connected warehouse or you know the warehouse of the future or something like that there is always this lack of understanding of the important critical role that the people will play you have to have the people that understand how to configure how to troubleshoot? How to like? They're, they, the, the, the vendors can only do so much because there are only so many right. people. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. We really need people to start to understand. You know, practitioners who work in the supply chain or people who are, have not really considered supply chain as a career. Like, we really need people who understand the technical and they understand what it means to really be a digital supply chain because we're only going to get there if the human element is where it needs to be. And we need people who can, like I said, troubleshoot, who can configure, who can develop. it's, It's a lot more involved than what I think a lot of business decision makers understand. They think that like, the tool is just gonna come that's gonna be implemented and then like, yay, magic overnight. <laughs> right. Right. And that's not how it works.
0: But we're gonna have this automation. And again, we're already seeing it. So again, you're looking at the whole supply chain. I think the people in transportation and logistics, we've seen we've seen technology really take off in the last five, 10 years. Yes. And what's interesting is you mentioned robotic process automation. I did a Podcast. I'll put a link to it in this in the show notes. But um, I did something with Lean Lean Solutions Group, and they're talking about robotic process automation. It's come up on my podcast before, but I think it's fantastic. Is that you might get an email from, let's just say, somebody said keep sending you emails regarding give me a quote on this or book this, whatever, whatever. These shipments that need to end up in your transportation management system, you might get a whole bunch of emails. And I remember when I was at a three PL, we had certain customers who didn't want to put their orders into our system. They would send emails and then we would put it in. That was prior to RPA. But now RPA could check your email you know, and they, they'll look for a certain, and again, I think it's just machine learning and AI, checks that email, sees certain things, automatically puts it into your TMS. And then you might have to still, to your point, DC, you still might have to check that you might want to say, at the end of the day, I'm going to look at these 50 orders to make sure that, you know, has all the information I want or needs, right? But the idea, though, that you waste your day saying, I became a data entry person. You don't have to do that. There In is OCR is one of those
1: technologies also. What is that? Optimal character recognition, I think is is what it is. O-optical. Optical optical character recognition, but it's, it's like, instead of scanning in PDFs all the time and like having to type it in there, there's, there's technology now that, you know, you scan it and it it, it tracks, like it, you can see it, it it tracks that information. But, you know, if we talk about, you know, the, the promise of the digital supply chain and thinking about it in the future, there are still, I mean, I feel like OCR, RP League, like, those are in my mind on a scale of uh, you know, very simple to very complex supply chain technologies. I put that on this, you know, more toward the simple scale. Oh yeah. So it's very these simple. are these are things that have like that are around and it's not, you know, a, a million oh, no. dollar overhaul of whatever you can implement this, but think about how many companies aren't there are still so many companies that are just typing in the emails, that are scanning PDFs, <laughs> printing them, you know? And it's it's like, guys!
0: Right after I did that podcast, I called like three or four friends When I say the podcast, the podcast I did with Lean Solutions on RPA, Mm -hmm. I I called three or four friends who run logistics company and go, you got to get this. You got to get this. And
1: and, you know, the question is that you got, it's not, you got to get this. It's like, dude, why don't you have this? Like, You know what I mean? Like, where have you been? But I mean, I I know where they've been. They've been trying to fulfill orders. You know what I mean? They, they've been trying to to do their day jobs.
0: Somebody sent me something really kind of an interesting technology. Hey, this is a wave that you know you can interact with your audience, the podcast podcasters can use this, and it' very cool. Don't get me wrong. But I was like, I'll probably try it out at some point. But was my first thought after the meeting was just one more thing on my list that isn't getting done, mm-hmm. and so that's the reality. You mentioned the running order, so
1: and we we talked about though the value. We talked about, you know, being able to communicate value. You have to communicate the value of, you know, doing that. And the best, I think in my mind, the best salespeople communicate the value of the tool, not what the tool does. Right,
0: right, right, right. You know, exactly. like,
1: it, okay, cool. I can, it's the whole you know, like not that, the drill. <laughs> what, what I remember being, you know, in a business course, because part of the reason why I chose engineering management is because it wasn't the traditional MBA degree where you just do business, business all the time. I really love that it was a good mix between engineering and the business. And I remember being in a business course and the case study was, it's funny, I can't even remember the name of the company. I think it's TiVo. Like where you could,
0: yeah, TiVo. where you could
1: record. Yeah. So, so it, you know, it's the, it, for me, it was a foundational case study of like, yeah, cool. You're telling everybody what this does, but you're not telling them why it's why like, why it. it's like, what's the value <laughs> of it? Like, exactly. why do I care? Like, okay. Yeah. You know, RPA can read this, like, why Why do I care at my, you know, logistics, Come at my 3PL?
0: Because you saves a whole bunch of man hours from having to do crappy work. So I'm going to summarize the promise, and then I want to switch gears and talk about the two things that we need, that, that we really need to get to this place. So we talked about the promise, really, it's, you know, again, the buzzwords, agility, resilience, speed, it's going to save us money, right? It's going to hopefully make us more money. It's going to make it's us really more customer competitive. Service. Yep. And it's going to allow us to collaborate. Across our entire supply chain, not just have visibility, but visibility that actually I can use. You know, and at- what's the
1: value of that, Joe? Right. What is the value of that? Increased market share, increased revenue, increased profits. If you do it the right way,
0: right. This is not just for just not just for techies. This is this is for making yeah. the business better. <laughs> and again, ultimately, we want to be able to respond quickly to changes in demand and changes in supply in the
1: market things that we can't control geopolitical changes you know
0: and then we just want to be able to make those pivots and again i think part of that 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 beautiful future we talked about is going to have automation like rpa and ocr it's going to have this ability to do some scenario planning like the digital twin so there is again this isn't just for a technology exercise this is where we're heading it might take a while, but this is where we're heading. And so, when we we're prepping for this, DC, you told me. I said, "Well, what is what's holding us back? Why? What's what's causing us not to get there?" So, you had two points you wanted to make on that.
1: Yes. So, the two things that stand out for for me in my mind was. Right now, there is just a, and I think we ended up making it three. Okay, because one of them was the value. <laughs> it is is that you know just from a from a storytelling sales perspective, supply chain, product operations, op, you know, operations, whatever you want to call it, they don't tend to be the storytellers. The, the and we need to be. <laughs> so we need to get to a point to where the business case development is a. The output is a business case of value that the executive level decision makers understand and buy into.
0: They understand the business value of it. They don't see exactly. the technology.
1: Exactly. But even from a, you know, before that, it, it's an understanding, at least from what I have seen, is that it takes a lot. To get to the place of really achieving the promise of digital supply chain, because it is something that involves a lot of different players, it's not just my internal supply chain. And what I've seen a lot of is you know, when we always tell our clients that we do supply chain transformation right, you know, supply chain transformation done right, and what does that look like? That extends far beyond just the supply chain. And so many people right now are like, yeah, digital supply chain. I'm going to, you know, change my TMS. I'm going to change my WMS. And we're going to do like, we're going to put GPS in our, you know, in our trucks. And we're going to implement this new demand planning tool and upgrade our ERP. And now it's digital supply chain. But that's number one. Like, that's just within your company and really leveraging. The promise or really achieving the promise of of digital supply chain and leveraging technology and digital is way more than that. It has to extend across the entire network and a lot of companies and a lot of practitioners, I don't think, truly understand just how connected we need to be from all of your external partners, your suppliers. like You can be this fancy, fancy digital company, but if all of your suppliers and your 3PL partners and everyone else is still not leveraging OCR and not leveraging RPA, you're only gonna get so far toward actually achieving the resiliency, agility, and speed that you really want. So it has to be something that decision makers start to understand the level of effort that is actually required. So that, you know, summing that all up, you have to understand the true level of effort. It's not something that you're gonna do in 16 weeks. It's not gonna do something, it's not gonna be something that you wanna do in 16 months. I don't care how much you say, this is oh so urgent, we have to do it now. It doesn't matter. I also wanted to have my baby in like two months. (laughs) After, you know, the first trimester of morning sickness, I was like, oh, it's over with. However, that's just not how it works. He was in there for nine months. You know what I mean? It is what it is. So it doesn't matter how fast you want to do this it's still going to take years. It's going to take years. It's going to take cultural changes within the company. It's going to take process changes, workflow changes, implementing of new KPIs. How do you not manage? How do you measure success? You know, what are driving people's bonuses? You know, those now need to become cross-departmental. And that's, again, those are changes that have to come from the top and take a long time, even just behavioral. So that's the first thing is for people to first understand it's a long road. It's a long journey. And the second thing is the will to do that. Because once right. once I start saying, well, you have to do this, you've got to get HR involved, you gotta get sales involved, you gotta get production involved, you gotta get your 3PL partners involved, you gotta get your procurement uh, involved, you gotta get IT involved, it's gonna be five years. People are like, yeah, so what's the MVP? Like what's the minimum viable product? What can I take off of that <laughs> list and get right. done in the next year? And it's like, well, then you're not gonna really achieve the promise of digital. Because you're not putting in the work.
0: Yeah. So, so you mentioned this, this first thing is there, there's kind of a, not the full recognition of the value of this. So we need to be, we need to become that storyteller you talked about is we Mm -hmm. need to be able to tell the story, but also be able to say, here is the actual savings. Here is the actual business value. Not, not because I love technology, but because I love money, right? (laughs) I want to, I want to make us more money.
1: We're good at quantifying Right, we're, we're good at quantifying, but you have to quantify the right thing. So you have to and I think we also talked about this. Who's your audience? Are you quantifying in units? or Are you quantifying in dollars? are you quantifying in percentages or are you quantifying in you know something else
0: we're going to at some point be able to you know have to com- communicate the value of this and again in and, and in a way that really resonates with the people who make those decisions and then and then we have to get them to a place where there's a will to execute because otherwise you know there's again the, the supply chain when we think about big companies usually it's not the guy at the CEO is not a supply chain guy he's a sales guy or a finance guy and supply chains are increasingly important. We've seen the value of them over the last 18 months. I always
1: argue that it is the most important and I will argue that till I'm blue in the face and debate it with anybody that <laughs> supply chain and product operations is the lifeblood of the organization and all man- all business decisions at some point manifest themselves in the supply chain. Right. You can I can look at any operational thing and tie that back to some business decision, even if it's not directly the supply chain, HR, finance, you know, planning, whatever it is, I can do that. And I will, I will take anyone up on that challenge. (laughs) Yeah.
0: I think one of the, one of the things also is we got to knock the walls down, you know, that there's always been sales and marketing. Well, it's the same function, right? And then we just think about this, the entire supply chain, we, we think about all these different departments, and that's part of our problem right now is we've got all these point systems and our our siloed information rather than all the cool stuff that we need here for the digital supply chain. Anyway, I'm going to summarize, then I want to get your final thoughts on this. So the topic, again, is the promise of the digital supply chain with DC. You can pronounce your last name. And this the, the goal here is agility, resiliency, speed, money, collaboration. We want the visibility that we all talk about. We want to be able to kind of respond quickly to market changes, both either it's demand or supply. Uh, We want to be able to pivot quickly. want to be able to take advantage of automation like uh, RPA or OCR, the digital twin, all these good things. But to your point just now, we have to be able to communicate this to the people who make the decisions, the guys who pull the trigger.
1: Because everything that you just listed, it, it, you know, from a decision-making perspective, I'm like, oh, that's a lot of time and a lot of money. No, so, of course it is. So we have to, like you say, we have to be able to communicate the value and also communicate why it's important.
0: Right. And, you know,
1: it, and sometimes it means taking a hit, you know, in the short term in order to be that much better in the long term, you know, kind, kind of delay gratification.
0: Right. So final thoughts on this big topic.
1: Final thoughts that are not summed up, that were not just summed up. I would say, (laughs) no, no, I I, seriously, you know, we kind of joked about it. We we definitely laughed a lot, but I, I definitely think that what I've been seeing and, and even why I started new gen architects is that we in supply chain and industry just really need to educate ourselves more on what digital really looks like and how to leverage it. I I love these types of conversations because it's not the buzzwordy conversation or, you know, at least we tried to make it, it not <laughs> be, you know what I mean? We tried to make it not be. And we really just, as supply chain practitioners, have to do some true reflection to understand how we can continue to work together. I did see a lot of supply chain decision makers coming together in, you know, 2020 and even in this year to say, "Hey, what are you doing? Maybe we can do that too." How can we leverage cuz at the end of the day, we all want to serve customers. You know, we all want to make sure the customer is getting what they need to get and you know it sounds cliche but if you want to go you know fast go alone if you want to go far go together so we really need to figure out if we're going to achieve the promise of digital and you know to to your point earlier of at some point we want to not have the digital supply chain we'll just have supply chain because like by default they will be digital but in order to get there we're really going to have to suck it up and do the hard work of not just breaking down the silos internally, but also trusting each other, trusting trading partners. And and, and that's, I know that's a lot easier said than done, but Mm -hmm. that's where we need to get to.
0: The big cultural change is required. So before you go, tell us, who do you serve over at New Gen Architects?
1: So we work with startups. I I say less than 10 years old when I think of startup. And then we work with small and medium businesses. So companies that are less than about $300 million in revenue, but have at least 50 employees. That is where I've seen we've been able to provide the most value. And then, you know, larger companies that are in, you know, a hyper growth. So they don't, they might not necessarily fit into that revenue band or they might not necessarily fit into the 10 years of, you know, business history, but you know, we do have a couple of larger clients. And when, when I did first meet the team, I remember, you know, one of our clients, like a billion dollar medical device company. And the data manager told me, oh, working here is like working at a startup. And, you know, when I asked her, I was like, well, how? And she said, you know, things just change so much. Things change so often. And it's like we are a startup. You know, startups are trying to figure it out. You know, what's working this year? Is it going to work in two years? And is it going to work in five years? And when you're growing that fast, you have to continue to change. So we, we work with companies that kind of fit that profile in the CPG space. Um, so that's, that's where we mostly sit and, and, and serve customers.
0: Excellent. Excellent. DC, well, I really, really, do appreciate you taking the time and I know we went well, well past your time. So what I'm going to do is I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile. I'll put a link to anything else, your company, whatever else you give me. Yes. And I do appreciate you taking the time. And educating us on the vast topic today.
1: <laughs> yes. It's a, it's a, I mean, digital supply chain is a very vast topic and it, it means a lot of different things to different people in different industries and in different size companies. So I, I do think that there is an opportunity for like I said, more thought partnership advisory services that we offer. I, I don't have this like, oh, I'm going to take over the world. Like I think there is plenty of business and there is plenty of need right now in the industry for a lot of companies that do what we do. So I really hope to start to see more companies be OK with leveraging those types of relationships i have talked to a couple of people that you know have said i really i really wish my company would bring in a consultant but like you know they think that they can do it themselves and you you probably can but there's also you know there's always the i can but should i you know kind of thing like, like <laughs> in,
0: in this business it pays to have partners so
1: yes it it always pays to have partners it's it's in, in my mind you know also akin to the basics of economics if you take an economics course the kind of the first thing they they teach you is that countries can make everything themselves or they can make what they're good at and then trade for the rest so you know you you focus on what you're good at and that gets you know the day-to-day done and then for everything else you know call on the experts Exactly. And let's just let's continue to you know drive education i'm actually going to be launching a live show in January.
0: Oh yeah. That's so, excellent. Yeah.
1: in about a month and that's going to be once stay a tuned. month. Stay we'll, tuned. Yeah. Stay tuned. We'll share that. But I mean, the, the goal is, you know, just education. You know, what, what we're going to be doing is having real hard, tangible takeaways that supply chain practitioners and decision makers can actually, you know, tomorrow go into the office and start executing. I think there's a lot of conversation right now and all of the good things we should be doing. But like we've talked about, it's hard. It takes time. So, what are the steps that you can start taking now that will get you somewhere? You know, that that 1% of progress every day is still progress. Yes. So, that's that's what we're going to be talking about and and that's where we try to Help companies, like I said, you know, help companies scale intentionally and leverage digital transformation, another buzzword, but it is what it is. (laughs) Leverage digital transformation in a way that makes sense for them.
0: Excellent. Excellent. DC, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time and thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support is very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversation with experts in the logistics field. For more details, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com or follow Joe Lynch on LinkedIn.